Welcome to the Popcorn Talk Network. For the online broadcast network that features movie discussion, news, and interviews, press one. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. In a world where action movies are constantly exploding at the box office, our heroes take on the monumental task of dissecting and analyzing all aspects of action movies to truly understand what it takes to make a great action film. Ben Bateman, Andrew Guy, in a Popcorn Talk Network exclusive, this is Action Movie Anatomy. Boom! What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show, Bob. Welcome to the show! This is Action <laughs> Movie show, Anatomy. Bob. This is Action Movie Anatomy on the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network dedicated to talking movies and all things movie-related. If this is the first time you're watching this show, we talk about action movies on this show. We do. I'm Ben, I'm ben Bateman. It's my co-host, Andrew Guy. He's wearing up, purple. Everybody? I'm wearing purple. I'm happy to be here. Excited to talk about Silence of the Lambs. That's not the movie we're doing. We're not? No. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> this is a different film starring Sir Anthony Hopkins. Sir Anthony Hopkins and Mr. Alec Baldwin. The good-looking Baldwin in his in-between phase before he gained weight. He was, like, on his way. Yes. But not quite. He was right in the middle. He, he was right in the middle, Charles. Uh, <laughs> I'm right in the middle, Charles. <laughs> this movie is a movie that I saw. This is The Edge from 1997, directed by Lee Tamahori and written by David Mamet. The David Mamet. Very strange writer to have associated with this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie is kind of one of those, like, gone by the wayside. People don't really remember this movie exists. This type is a of movie. true classic. It's like a gem. Yeah. It's a dude gem. It's not even a dude gem. It's like a fucking... If you're one of those people who's just like a fist pump movie like right. what our show is kind of about this is kind of like Crimson Tide in that oh, way it's, it, it peaks at so many great fist pumps yeah it's just amazing and talking to Donica I was like did you watch The Edge he's like of course I watched The Edge what did you think he's like dude it was intense yeah. it's intense yeah it is still tw- almost 20 years later yeah uh, so guys we do action movies on this show and those action movies aside from being made after 1981 adhere to four basic rules Uh-oh. rule number one <laughs> the hero always plays by their own rules and Mr. Charles Morris definitely plays by his own rules do you know how to make Fire from Ice Bob. Fire from Ice Bob. <laughs> okay, Damn it, Charles. <laughs> Rule number two. The hero and the villain are always the smartest people, beings, things, bears, aliens, whatever bears. in the room. And the bear is smart. We get to extend to bears now. The bear is cunning. We got raptors, queen aliens, bears. Yeah. And the bear is very smart. The two of them are definitely the smartest people in, the I mean, forest. they're not in a room. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's in Alaska, right? That's where we are. Uh, I'm not sure. I can't remember where they are in the yeah, movie. It's I know Alaska. They, it's it's Alaska. Alaska. I know they filmed in Canada, but yeah. yeah. Uh, rule number three: the movie is driven by a police, military, political, or mercenary figure. This Bear figure. This misses on all levels. Charles could be. We don't know. We don't know what he does. Maybe he is. He could be like. Now he's not. He, they would. He would have been like a congressman. They would have said so. He could own Shadow Company. He. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. He could be. <laughs> He could be like in some way like a mercenary. He could be like de- more devious than we think. But it Isn't seems he in like one of the Mission Impossibles or something. Yeah, he's in Mission Impossible Two as the voice on the thing when he when they shoot the rock rocket in the beginning when Ethan Hunt's oh, rock yeah, climbing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he is the leader of the IMF. This is definitely. I'm pretty sure we missed on this one. Yeah, it's We're, completely off. It's a big stretch. No uh, explosions. Yeah. Uh, no explosions. There is that explosion of emotion. No, no, there is an explosion because well. The plane goes down. It doesn't explode. It doesn't. There's no it fire. It sinks in the, the water. The birds' bodies explode. They sure do. It's a gnarly scene. 
Uh, yeah, there's there's no explosion. What one man can do, another man can do. <laughs> yeah, so that's an explosion. This movie misses on those, but it does not miss as a movie whatsoever. And if you're watching this and you're just like, okay, I've never seen this movie, I'm going to turn it off. Trust me, do not turn this episode off. Do not turn off the podcast if you're listening on audio, because you're going to love this movie by the end of this episode. Oh, yeah. It's impossible not to. I saw this film for the first time. I've mentioned this on the show before, and those VHS tapes. Mm-hmm. The, the, like somebody had like tracked it off of HBO. Oh right, the the hundreds of copies yeah. of movie. Yeah, okay. And I got all these like the half dozen or more tapes of like six or eight recorded movies on each one, and I got them for like a buck a pop at a yard sale, just the earliest form of pirating. And I watched them over and over again. And I Love saw this it. movie like as a kid, like at least four or five times. My similar or my story is kind of similar. I watched it with my friend Trevor Farmer back in Salem, Oregon. Uh, his family they had uh, one of those black boxes, right? So you pay like a hundred bucks for it, and you could oh, see right. every channel. Yeah. So their their whole entire VHS collection was what you're talking about, but it was organized. So it was only one movie per tape. Okay. And it was The Edge, and we would watch it all the time. But I hadn't seen it in probably like. 15 years yeah. other than yesterday. Right. It's still just as good. Yeah, it's super sweet. Yeah. Um, it's just a dude movie. I keep calling it a dude it's movie. It's not a dude movie. No, it's it's like a it's like an ultimate fist pump movie. Yeah. If you like like pulse pounding adrenaline. Rush. Uh, yeah, yeah. Then this is a movie for you. Uh, guys, so we are on the Popcorn Talk Network and before we get into the show and the format, I should remind everybody, please rate, review on iTunes. It helps us stay high in the standings. We keep getting to do the show, providing free content. Um, without that, we can't really keep doing the show. So help us out and do that. Um, we are on Twitter. We have a recent Twitter that was launched, at AMA Podcast. Mm-hmm. So follow the Twitter and uh, tweet your thoughts at us. And of course, if you want to find one of us personally, you can find me at Ben Bateman Media. You can find me at Andrew Guy. And of course, at The Popcorn Talk. Donica, is it The Popcorn Talk or The Popcorn Talk Network? The Popcorn Talk. It's The Popcorn Talk. So, I thought. Mm-hmm. so follow Popcorn Talk. Uh, and we are going to get straight into the show, so let's watch the trailer for the edge. A photographer. <laughs> this is a good one. Did you watch it? Uh, no, I wanted to wait for the show. <laughs> Can we make sure the audio is loud enough we can hear it, Donica? Okay, check it, please. A photographer with an eye for beauty. <laughs> okay, great. Let's do one more. Nice looking lady. What? Yes. Why'd you ask? A man of wealth know who, everybody who is. lives through books. A man of wealth who lives through books. I seem to retain all these facts, but putting them to any useful purpose is another matter. Each the essence of the civilized man. Well, Charles, we're going on an impromptu adventure. You come too. Well, Each the money. essence. Never knowing what people value you for. And I think your wife's pretty cute too. So, how are you planning to kill me? Hold on! <laughs> That was gnarly when I was a kid. Yeah, oh yeah. But when civilization disappears... Why do we even think they'll come looking for us? Our friend's a billionaire. You know what happens when you misplace one? All they have is each other to rely on. Most people lost in the wilds, they die of shame. They die of shame, They didn't do the one thing that saved their lives. (laughs) Thinking their will to survive. And the question... Why would I want to kill you, Charles? Why would I want to do that? For my wife. Oh my life. The greatest danger <laughs> lies. Bart the Bear. Tremendous actor. Oh, he's he's the second best in the film. <laughs> Make sure you get a ticket your recast for Bart the Bear ready. Yeah. <laughs> the Rock. Gerard Butler. What are we gonna do, Charles? Am I supposed to have a plan? Am I supposed to have a plan, Bob? <laughs> 
take something from you when they want to bet it. It's you money folk, isn't it? I've seen you with her. I've seen you with her, Bob. I've seen Bob with my wife. You want to die out here, huh? Alec Baldwin. Money folk, sit up there, drink some golf, but get you in an emergency. And you bloom. You make me sick. I'm sure I do. It's so crazy. His career turn. Baldwin's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's super funny. The Edge. The Edge. Yeah. Today, I'm going to kill the mother. Oh, come on. They're going to put that in the trailer? What a bummer. Movie's sweet. Uh, Yeah. It feels like strikingly similar to a movie that would be straight to video nowadays. Like the trailer when you watch it. Oh, definitely the trailer. Yeah, you're just like, there's no way that was a theatrical release. You're like, it just feels too, you know, you know. There's like that 90s feeling that these movies Imagine have. if the original title stuck and you saw that trailer and at the end it said, The Bookworm. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been pretty good. Uh, so that's actually... Nope. Movie, so that's the trailer for The Edge. Um, a movie that if you weren't going to... If you weren't aware how much we loved, you soon will be. Uh, we're going to start this off with a little segment we like to call Action Movie Tagline. So... Uh, Again, if it's the first time watching, you know, when Drew and I were kids, we'd go to the movie store, the actual physical video store, back when they had VHS tapes on the racks, and we would, uh, we'd see these movies, and, and there was like little taglines on the front and back of boxes, and they would say things like a slam-bang action thriller, or a non-stop adrenaline thriller, or it'd be a little longer, like a couple sentences kind of right. outlining the movie. Joshua Jackson turns in a tour de force. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the section of the show. We make up our own taglines, and they're kind of like a combination of, of the trailer voiceover and also the things you'd see on the box. And uh, we face off every week. So if you're watching and you, and you in fact, would like to share your opinion, uh, well, then let us know who has the better action movie tagline. Can I go first this week? Uh, yeah, I've also got the live chat open, so if you guys do want to put it in there, I will try to hop over and read it. Um, I would love... Do you really want to go first? You sound like you're so proud of yours. I feel like I should go first. We should finish on the good one. Uh, okay, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Hopkins, Baldwins, and Bears, oh my. <laughs> Are Anthony and Alec going to die? <laughs> That's really good. It's not bad. Did you, like, were you sitting on the toilet and you were like, running out of time to hold my prep, and that came to mind, you are like, ah, I could use it. That's pretty funny. <laughs> it's usable. I like it. I'm going to be hard-pressed to beat that. I'm pretty interested in yours. Yeah, okay, so here's mine. Ready? A deadly creature with a taste for human flesh deep in the heart of the Alaskan jungle. Two men fighting to survive. But survival at what cost when the deadliest creature is fear itself? The edge is closer than it seems. Huh? It was like half serious, half not. It was, I loved it. And there's a line stolen pretty much from the Congo trailer. Right. Deep in the heart yeah. of the African jungle. <laughs> the African jungle. <laughs> so good. I think what I really enjoy about Tagline is just being able to use the announcer voice. Right. Yeah, totally. It's the best part. That's, I, I was, when, I, when he says the line in the trailer, a photographer with an eye for beauty. Like, it just, just screams like snake eyes, yeah, most yeah. wanted. I, uh, I, I hate that he says an eye for beauty, but then at the, edge, uh, at the end he goes, the edge. Like no, he doesn't draw it out. He doesn't make it sound intense. I don't know. What do you think, Donica? Do you like do you like both of those? Uh, it's hard to pick one over the other, man. What I gotta say, the the, the Hopkins and Baldwin's and Bears oh my. got a got a big old pop for me here in the booth. Um, I'll stand by and check out the chat see if we have uh, come in. I, I love, mean, okay, cool, man. Like I said, I, it's hard to compete when you have such a clever rhyme. I mean, 
I've been I've been working on that every night for about three hours actually. You've just been it didn't putting just in pop in my head. Just <laughs> <laughs> these things don't just come <laughs> off the cuff. Well, well, David Mamet and I have a lot in common. Uh, oh man! All right, cool. Let's uh, let's move on to the next section of the show. This is a little thing we like called thesis statement. So if you've seen this movie, this will make more sense. If you haven't, you should go watch it and come back and and cue back up because maybe now you're so excited after watching that trailer and hearing us talk and all that. Yeah, uh, yeah and the taglines. But this is the thesis statement. So we come up with like a bold thought, something kind of rooted in hyperbole. This is the greatest. This this is the greatest example of this. Something. It can even just be like an observation on the movie that's like a pretty strong opinion. Right. Uh, but it has to be strong. It can't just be like. I really like this movie, or this is my favorite hero. Um, so that's how we do it. So we're gonna we're gonna jump into this, and uh, we're gonna share our thesis statements. Uh, shall I start? Please. All right. So doing the research for this film, uh, discovering the director Lee Tamahori, who we'll find out a bit more about when we discuss him. Home run hitter Lee Tamahori, <laughs> uh, as well as reading about David Mamet, who I was very familiar with his career before this, but just really like digging into exactly how accomplished he actually is in every form of literature. Right. Um, this movie is very clearly a parody of the genre. Lee Tamahori didn't get the joke. Hmm. Lee Tamahori missed the joke in right. the script and tried to make a serious movie. And that's why this movie, I, that is why I believe this movie was missed. So what is the joke for our audience? For our audience, not me. I, I feel that David Mamet was like riffing on the sort of like two men trapped in the wild surviving against a bear kind of right. man versus wild, like that whole genre. And I think that he was trying to make a joke. And I think Tamahori tried to shoot all the comedy, all the humor between them kind of super serious. Ser- yeah, like even in the beginning with Alec Baldwin's line delivery... You can't start off at a 10. No. You have nowhere to go to. And he's the biggest prick in the world at yeah. the beginning of the movie. Yeah. There's no build. It's just like, what does he say to Charles? And he's it's like, tr- it's a tremendous accomplishment, Charles. It's a tremendous yeah. accomplishment, Charles. Yeah. <laughs> like, Such a I dick. hate you. Yeah, always. And like, uh, even just things like where it would seem that it's a bad execution of a plot. Like, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Harold per- is Harold Perrineau, that's his name? Yeah. Uh, the the one black character in the movie dies first. Well, of course he does. This is a parody of an action movie. Right, of like, course. Whereas, like, you know, in today in today's day and age, like, that wouldn't happen. You wouldn't make a movie that way unless it was a bad movie or a joke. Because everyone would be like, oh, that guy's probably going to die. Yeah, and then exactly. he dies, and you're like, oh, come on. Yeah, because he wasn't even the movie. Right. So I, that's what I think happened here. Because he's completely irrelevant. Yeah. Irrelevant. Does not need to be yeah. in the movie whatsoever. Not at all. Serves no purpose. He's uh-huh. just a death. Um, that's what I think happened with this movie. My reasoning, so my thesis is the reason this movie was missed by all and is not remembered by any is that there was a miscommunication between director and writer. Would this movie be as epic to you, though, if it wasn't taken so seriously? I think it makes this movie kind of... This movie ends up feeling like our favorite genre, which is mm-hmm. is, is ridiculously legitimate because right. of that. Because of that, okay. Yeah, I don't think it would be any worse because it's it's closer to totally legitimate for me. It is. It's on that line, but I do think it will. We'll get there, but yeah, it's sort of right in the middle. Um, but there's par- there's just a lot of parts of this movie that feel sort of laughably cheap. Yeah. Um, and those are the parts that make this movie, you know, not the classic that it could be. That end up making it sort of this like. It's, it, we like it more because it's a cult classic. Right. If this was a movie that everyone remembered, and this movie was just sort of... Like, a, one of the reviewers I read uh, when we were doing our research referred to this movie was just sort of like, this ends up feeling less like, you know, the intense sort of, like, Last of the Mohicans and ends up feeling more like Wild America. Right. Than I, than I think they were, than they think they were going yeah, for. Yeah, it falls in the middle of those two, and it, sh- it could have just been straight up sweet, or it could have... Yeah. yeah. Okay. All exactly. Right. All right, so my bold thesis statement is is that this movie 
has the greatest amount of foreshadowing in any movie I've seen. Ever. 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 Everything that they talk about back in the cabin yeah. happens out in the wild. Yeah, Whether it's the compass, the uh, the get up and slowly back away, and make sure the he bear. sees yeah, you. Yeah. The deadfall, right. the ducks in the plane, right. like every single. Oh, how are you going to kill me? Yeah, how are you going to kill me, Bob? Yeah, did you ask me if I was going to kill you? And then later on, you know, of course he tries to he kill tries him, to yeah. kill him. Of course, so he had no business being with that broad. Everyone knows. Everyone that. knows the job. So you walk into the airport, they go, "That's the guy with the airplane." So yeah. <laughs> matter, Bob, can't do it sober. God, this movie's sweet. It's time to go outside, Charles. Yeah. But yeah, so I... I I was... Because, like I said, I hadn't seen the movie in so long, but I'd remembered a lot about it. So when we were starting... When we were re-watching it in, like, the first 20 minutes, I'm like, oh, my God. Every single thing they talk about comes up later in the movie. Yeah, it's true. If you... So what you're suggesting is that if you were to watch 20 minutes of this movie... And and you had to... Yes. You could essentially write out the whole plot Yes. Based on what you had seen early in the movie. A hundred percent. It wouldn't be in the same places. They'd probably end up, like, killing the bear with the deadfall. Right, sure. And, like, Baldwin would somehow kill Alec with, like, the knife. Yeah, right. But, like, yeah. All of it. A hundred percent. Can I say something to you, Charles? Yeah, sure, but I respect how you took that joke. It was an embarrassing moment. It was an embarrassing moment. You handled it and well. you handled it well. <laughs> Just what <laughs> He's such an asshole. Such a dick thing such to say. A... Oh, he's great in this. He actually is very good. They're, I think they both turn in fantastic performances. Tour de forces, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> so, the, so then the last piece sort of of my thesis would just be that, like, I think that Baldwin and Hopkins are much more in on the joke than mm. Tamahori. That would be, like, I think that this is one of those classic examples of Mamet right wrote like a really clever script like a really good script and they got world class actors to play it yeah, but they the ended up with a director who sort of it's like he you know doing the research on this guy and where he's he was kind in his of an career. idiot like not to not to say that because that's it's cheap and it's it's not an intelligent com- comment yeah but he is kind of an idiot yeah the the movies that when, when we talk about him it's like you guys all sort of laugh when you talk about his career but it's just one of these cases where this wasn't a hot script and it ended up getting passed off on a guy who wasn't really a hot director at the time. Right. He was just sort of a he was sort of a middling director. And this movie was just kind of middling for most people. If you look what it opened against and behind in, in the in box office, everything about this movie is very middle of the road. Yeah. It's forgotten by most. And the th- the thing is, there are so many more movies from the eighties and nineties that fit this category than there are now. Because nowadays, when a movie comes out, I mean, okay, a great example would be take uh, let's just pretend you took Wilkinson and Colin Farrell. So it's a sweet recast. So I wouldn't go there, but like, let's just say you took Wilkinson because like he was big Oscar talk like seven, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. He's not quite as hot now as he was, but he could still be in anything A list. But like, yeah. he was huge in the late two thousands. And Farrell, who was like A list action hot dude like eight, nine years ago, sort of the same as Baldwin was with like early nineties, right. late you know, right like Hunt for Red October. So both of those guys, you know. Baldwin's a little bit... Uh, Farrell's a little more of a joke now. He's kind of the butt of a lot of jokes. Right. He's had some troubles, right? And Wilkinson is not as hot as he was. If those two guys showed up in The Edge with a bear, and it was a Redbox movie, and you saw it on Netflix... I would probably laugh out loud at the Redbox stand. You might watch it. I would. But if it didn't do anything, it didn't make waves, it failed, it wasn't... You would not surprise you. It would just sort of be like... Oh yeah, they didn't spend that much money, and they obviously didn't promote it very well, and ended up as a straight. That was completely forgotten. That was the point. Yeah, and like no shame, no harm, no foul. These guys probably knew what they were getting into. Whereas in the '90s, because that culture didn't exist yet, 
this had to be a movie. You had to put an actual director and pay him a real amount of money, and you had to pay these actors like yeah. this was going to be a big movie, and you had to promote it and put it in theaters. And despite there's nothing about this movie at the time that would have compelled the world to see it, which is why I think it ended up opening what like number three that fourth. weekend. Yeah, yeah, which is because it doesn't. I mean, again, when you look at the trailer, it doesn't a, 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 um, appeal to a certain demographic. It doesn't sell the movie in any direction. No, it's just all very like muddled. Yeah, and it's not even. It's the trailer is not even cut in a way that makes this movie look interesting. No. It just looks like sort of stops like this is happening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is just happening outside. Yes. Yeah. Which is not to say that this movie's not amazing because it is. Because it's, it's just super awesome. But the reason that people missed it, the reason that when you like this morning I was mm-hmm. on a I was on a shoot for a sports comedy show I work on and talking to the group of writers there and we were all laughing about action movies and they asked me what movie I was doing on the show today. And I was like The Edge. And the one guy's like, is that the movie where they're, they're being chased by the bear? And the other right. guy's like, oh, that movie's sweet. Yeah. I haven't seen that movie in years. And one guy's like, what movie is this? And we started talking about it. And he's like, oh, i got to write this down. Oh, dude, I had an extremely similar situation at work the week, yeah. this week as well. Same thing. It's just like people forget about it, but they watch it and they're like, that movie's epic. Yeah. Yeah. My roommate, who is a good friend of ours, uh, owns like, he like buys hunting knives. And, he like, has the bra- broadsword <laughs> from Braveheart in his room. He ordered it. The it's literal like broadsword. $100 sword. He's got like the Rambo knife. Like he just, and he basically wants the world to end so he can live in the woods with his knives. <laughs> <laughs> as crazy as that sounds. Um, and this is like one of his favorite movies. Oh, yeah. 100%. He watched it again last yeah, night. Last night. Just because we read Yeah. I love it. I love it. So uh, let's, let's talk fist bump moment because this movie is. Is just one walking fist bump moment. Yes. Yeah. It'd it be really like is. If a person had a fist for a dick <laughs> and got... A, I have no <laughs> idea where you're going with this. I don't know either. <laughs> I had an image and then I lost it. Um, it's a weird image, man. It's a strange thing to think about. I applaud your valiant <laughs> effort. So fist bump moment, guys, is that moment you're watching a movie and, uh, and you look around and you're, you're like... Maybe you're just by yourself, and something awesome happens, and you're like, yes, this is so sweet. Yeah. Is anyone around? Are you seeing this right now? If no one's around, maybe pick the phone up. You're like, oh, I'm watching such and such. Dude, you got to just no. Go look at the scene on YouTube and just tell me. I'll start at the same time as you. Your appendix is bursting? <laughs> what? It doesn't no, matter. Just you got you time. need to watch this. Or, you know, your buddy's having have a dinner with his girlfriend in the other room. Get over here. <laughs> you can go back to that in a second. So uh, that's the fist bump moment. We're gonna we're gonna share our fist bump moments. This is a tough one because I feel like there's we're gonna... so many. Well, but the ultimate fist bump there's in this ultimate. movie, yeah. I think it's hard for it not to be. I mean, what do you think? I think uh, we can't kill the bear, Charles. Well, that's I'm using that as a later segment. Okay, because my fist bump and favorite line happen in the same sequence. Yeah, yeah. That whole sequence is is the it's got my favorite line yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. <laughs> Do you want to start? Should we just should we just break the scene? We'll just down? talk about. Okay, so what has happened is the night or the they're fishing earlier in the day and they realize the bear has been hunting them. It, it just just randomly come upon them a few times. Yeah. So it comes upon Anthony Hopkins fishing with yeah. his cool little fishing hook that he created, and he does the thing that he learned. He gets up, sees it, he sees him, backs away slowly, runs to Baldwin, yeah. Yeah. and then. Yeah, and so then Baldwin in a weird scene, which like I can't I can't imagine how they blocked it because. It's all of a sudden nighttime, and Baldwin's standing there with a torch, just looking off into the woods by himself. Yeah, I thought he like what, last night. I was like, wait, does he try to do something to Hopkins here? Yeah, he's just like looking off by himself in the woods. Like Baldwin was fishing; it was like daytime or something. Yeah, and he runs over, and, and Hopkins is like, "It's a manita boat. He's been tracking us all along." And so then they throw torches, and now now they've decided they, they create need... this ring of fire. Yeah, now they have to they have to survive. But Baldwin is just so broken; he's so beaten, and he doesn't know what to do. And so, so Hopkins starts talking him into the plan. Yeah. And he says, well, the first thing is, he's like, what, what's, what are we going to do? out?" He's like, we're going to starve. Yeah. We're going to go, like, because we can't leave. We can't go anywhere. Yeah. We can't eat. We can't eat. We won't let us sleep. We're going to kill the bear. 
And he goes, what? and then he goes, this is one of my favorite things. He goes, how are we going to kill the bear, Charles? We're going to lure it. And he goes, okay, how are we going to lure it? <laughs> I used to, uh, 12 year old Indian boys used to go up to bears and smack them in the face smack to prove their the manhood. Well, I understand that they did that, Charles, but how are we going <laughs> are to do we it? Gonna do? <laughs> With blood. With blood. And then he cuts his finger. So then he starts, it's like a Jerry Maguire moment. It's a show me the money moment. Yeah. And he's like, I'm going to kill the bear, Bob. And he's like, I don't, I don't know, Charles. I don't know. Yeah. We can't kill the bear. It's smarter than we are. It's been stalking us. It's always one step ahead of us, Charles. And then, uh, and then he says to him, what one man can do, another man can do, Bob. He's like, I don't know, Charles. We're going to kill the bear. Say it. Say it, Bob. I'm going to kill the bear. Say it again. I'm going to kill the bear. Say it again. I'm going to kill the bear. What one man can do, another man can do. What one man can do, another can do. Say it again, Bob. What one man can do, another can do. <laughs> so then he goes, after all that, then he goes, well, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do, Charles? How are you gonna? What are you gonna? Yeah, what are you gonna do today, Charles? He says, "Cause today we're gonna kill the motherfucker. Kill the motherfucker. Greatest, oh. greatest scene in the whole movie. It I really mean, is. It just it sets the. If anybody just watched or listened, I'm sorry if I blew your eardrums out. He did. He didn't do the courtesy of backing away. <laughs> yeah. I was happy with that. Yeah, I, that's like maybe the closest we've gotten to reenacting a scene. That was. It was so sweet. <laughs> and the and the what was great about it was right beforehand, uh, maybe like ten minutes before Hopkins. Stands up and he's got the beard. Oh yeah, and, he, and I'm like, oh, this is this might be my fist pump. Exactly, moment. that's almost the fist pump moment. Yeah, it's funny because I was I was thinking about fist pump moments and we've talked about them for so long on this show. When you love a movie so much, like the fist pump moment actually just becomes the first time something you love happens. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like for me, last week watching Under Siege, it was just the first time Busey talked because I just love <laughs> right, Busey so much. Right. In this movie, like the first time Baldwin interacted with Hopkins. Just the first time he said something to him, I looked at you and had a literal fist bump. Yeah, you were like, like, he's got it, sweet. Uh, I'm trying to see if there's any other yelling sequence... No, that was it. That's yeah. that's the best the best moment. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot. Um, the actual takedown of the bear is pretty incredible. It's it's pretty incredible and pretty unbelievable. Just completely absurd. Yeah, Hopkins is like seventy. <laughs> he's like falling down through. <laughs> the- <laughs> um, yeah, I also love. I also just like love. With that first line when, when Charles is like with the guy's like I'll give you five dollars yeah. you can tell me what's on the back of this blade and he's like so on the back of that blade it's a rabbit smoking a pipe <laughs> turns it over now why would you know that Charles why would you know that Charles I hate you <laughs> yeah so anyway that's uh, there's there's a lot of them but I, I don't think we can really top the what one man no, can that's, do. No, that's the best. That's the best. Another can do. It's just, it actually, it's kind of like the speech from Independence Day. Mm-hmm. I think it takes what would be an otherwise, like, very entertaining movie that's, like, just okay and puts it to, like, such a classic in my mind. Oh, absolutely. And then imagine if it was a bad actor instead of Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, yeah. And how, like, unbelievable. Yeah. And, like, you'd be like, oh, God, just stop yelling. Just please stop. This is horrible. Yeah. But it's so good. Do you mean a moment like, is there no one else? <laughs> Well, he's not a bad actor. But no, he's not a bad actor, but it is so bad. I, yeah. remember, I was reading comments the other day, and someone loved that part. Somebody said it was their favorite yeah, line. It was their favorite line. Yeah. Hey, yeah. man. To hey. each their own. Yeah, big ups. We don't exactly. knock you on that. So let's uh, let's move in a little bit. The uh, star profiles, production development, et cetera, et cetera. Um, this was such an interesting time in both their careers. Yeah, totally. Because Hopkins had just done... Okay, so the three that we have for him are Surviving Picasso... August and Nixon, which were respectively in 96, 96, and 95. Right before that, he had done Legends of the Fall. Right. And right after this, he'd done, he does Amistad. Amistad, yeah. And then I think he goes in to do uh, The Mask of Zorro. Yeah, so, so Hopkins, 
is one of these guys where he was a theater actor, uh, and yeah. his career blew up in the late 80s. Elephant Man, I want to say, is one of his early, that might be mid or earlier 80s, but I mean, like, he didn't, he was, like, solidly into his 40s before his career really took off. Um, and so... Which he, I always love to see that. Yeah, yeah, completely. It really just means that, you know, you have the talent. Um, cool. So, obviously, he wins the Oscar for being on screen in, in The Silence of the Lambs in 91 for, like... I don't know how many minutes, like he's like 11 minutes yeah, or 16 some, minutes. something obscene. He's like less than a supporting actor, but he's just yeah. so memorable, and he's sort of the movie. He makes it. It's actually weird when you go back and watch that movie. Um, people, when they think about that movie, they in their minds remember him being the villain, but it's, right. he's not actually the villain in the movie. No, he, he drives the movie with, with, he's just an interesting character, yeah. you know? He's like sort of much more of an anti-hero in, in yeah. some ways. Um and you get the introduction to him and Clarice's relationship, which is awesome. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that movie's a classic. That movie's like a true, actual, real classic movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's actually a real classic. This movie is not. But, uh, yeah, his next few years, like, he just he just pops up in a few things. Mm-hmm. I've seen Nixon. I've never seen August. I've never seen Surviving Picasso. Remains of the Day, I want to say, unless I'm mistaken, is, is also 95. Uh, I believe it's 95, but he got an Oscar nod for that. Uh, so his, the 90s for Hopkins were, were pretty excellent. Yeah, I mean, he's one of those guys for me that I love so much. I do miss things that he does, but I also, whenever I see that he's in something, I'm yeah. always excited. Yeah, Because he absolutely. always does well. Like the fastest Indian? Although the Wolfman was not <laughs> very good. But that's why I saw it, is because I love Benicio Del Toro and I love Anthony Hopkins. Right, I mean, so. there's there's also... <laughs> oh, no. Fastest Indian. Uh, I mean, there's also Hearts of Atlantis. Yeah. An Instinct with Cuba Gooding Jr. There's Remember some, that one? There's some bad ones. Um, but uh, in any case, so every actor has bad movies, yeah, okay? Of course, of course. And then so, Baldwin, on the other hand, he is, he's like on his way. He's in a, he was in a weird transitional phase at this point in his career. Yeah, well, I mean, like, like we talked about, if you're sort of comparing him to like a Colin Farrell type, I mean, the 80s, Baldwin had been in all these like. Like, Baldwin had sort of... He was, like, a leading man. Yeah. And the Baldwins were a big name. They had a lot of money. So, like, there's The Hunt for Red October, which is arguably his most famous movie. I don't think there's another one that I'm forgetting. I feel like it's got to be it. It's such a huge movie. Yeah, huge one. Um, Which is funny that he never reprised this role as Jack Ryan. Uh, He's in a bunch of movies in the 80s. He's in Miami Blues. Mm -hmm. He's in, like... He just... He had this career where he was sort of, like, a hot guy. Yeah, he was, like, a, a hot leading man that was a dramatic actor. I would say that Hopkins is almost as famous for his SNL sketches yeah. as he is for his movies. Because he's hosted SNL. I mean, him and Steve Martin have hosted it the most, right? He's done like six or seven yeah. of them or something. Yeah, and, and he's always in great sketches. I mean, the Pete Schweddy, Schweddy Ball <coughs> sketch is like one of the all-timers. Yeah. Um, but but in any case, so he's he's great, and, and we saw his range later. Um, have I told my, Hopkins, or my uh, Baldwin story on here before? I don't think so. Do you know the story? I don't know. Oh, this is great. So, so when I was uh, when I was twenty, uh, I was working at Nordstrom in Seattle. I, I have to have told you. This I'm story. sure. Uh, I was working at Nordstrom in Seattle, and uh, it was right at the height of Thirty Rock. We all loved Baldwin, and he's ballooned a bit. But um, he came in and was shopping, and we were all super excited because we loved Alec Baldwin in Seattle. We didn't see celebrities all the time like we do here, mm-hmm. and. Uh, he goes to sit down and eat lunch in the grill, which is like our restaurant. It's like a pretty nice restaurant because it's the first Nordstrom store, so it's corporate. They have all the nice stuff there. And my friend was his waitress. And after he leaves, I'm like, how was it? She's like, it was so peculiar. He uh, came in and he ordered a fish sandwich and a bowl of soup. And it, he, he sat there and he ate it and he finished every bite of the soup. And I walked up and I said, sir, how was everything? And he looks at her and he says, 
That was the best fish sandwich I've ever tasted. Give me another one. And he orders the same thing again, the soup and the sandwich, and he ate the meal twice. What an a- what an a- what a badass. <laughs> Not an asshole. I, what an awesome guy. Yeah, and then he gets up and leaves. Huh. It's the best fish sandwich I've ever tasted. Give me another one. I've wanted to do that in my life of numerous course. times. Yeah. Where you eat a meal and you're like, I could eat that whole thing again. But I shouldn't order but it I because, shouldn't. but if you have money and you're Alec Baldwin, why the fuck not? Because then you'll look like Alec Baldwin in yeah. the early 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's, that's my Baldwin story. That's a good story. story. I like that. I love 30 Rock. Like, and the way that he oh, reinvented his career. Yeah. Like, he just... He was so, so, so funny as that character. Yeah. Like, such a good character. And I think what it is is that he he understood that he took himself too seriously. And yeah. so for the latter half of his career, he decided to poke fun at the fact of taking himself too seriously. Yeah. And it's gold. And he's so good at it. Yeah, he's so good at it. Yeah, there's also, I think I was telling you about this the other day, but did you ever watch or listen, sorry, listen to the phone message that he leaves to his daughter? No. It's like a, it was a scandal from like probably like... It was a drunken message? Is mid, that what it was? Mid-2000s. Yeah. And it's like his very young daughter, like like not even a teenager yet daughter. <laughs> and like he leaves her the scathing message where he's like, I just get her on the phone and make time to talk to you. And I don't care if you're 12 or you're 13 <laughs> years old. You have humiliated me and made me look like an ass for the last time. Anytime someone starts with it, I don't care if you're 12. It's so bad. He's like, I'm going to come down there for one day to straighten you out. It's very similar to the David Hasselhoff video of him yeah. eating the food on the ground, which is great. Incidentally, Hasselhoff was photographed today in a picture, a promo for the Baywatch movie uh, with The Rock looking good again. Really? Because he trained really hard because he has going to have a role. Yeah. It's obviously Baywatch. Huh. Which also The Rock said in his post that Baywatch is the most successful TV show of all time. I wonder by like by what metric what that standards, is. standards, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, I can't think like write Seinfeld it. or Friends or... Anyway, yeah. let's move on to production development here. Yeah, I don't know any of Baldwin's movies. Ghost of Mississippi, Heaven's Prisoners, The Juror. Like, I just... I don't know. They're all 96, which is funny. That's why I wanted to pull them is because, yeah, they're all 96. I don't know any of them, and I don't yeah. know people that do know of them. Yeah. So, production development. Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess just things to point out, like... Hopkins like was actually just ailing <laughs> the whole time, which is like why he looks so sick. And he even like used it in his, he even used it in his performance. Right. You know what I mean? His, he had a bad back. He almost got hypothermia. He was like taking painkillers for a neck problem. Right. Uh, yeah. He began to get hypothermia from that scene when he falls falls in the river. Yeah. And they had to rush him. He's old. Yeah. Like every time he falls down or like trips or something, I'm like ah. Yeah. I'm wondering how old is Hopkins now? Almost eighty, I'd think. Yeah, I would think so. I would think so. Um, and then uh, there is a, a, a stat that I pulled here. We've said the name Charles so many times. Have we, Bob? And that's because they say it 87 times in the movie. 87 times. Uh, Donica, cue the clip, please. There's a clip. <laughs> the Edge. Charles. <laughs> <laughs> I love YouTube. What do you say, Charles? If I tell you something, Charles, the one thing which would have saved their lives. And what is that, Charles? <laughs> what is that, Charles? That doesn't feel south, Charles. Why would I want to antagonize you, Charles? Why would I want to do something like that? Why would I want to kill you, Charles? Why would I want to do that? Charles, <laughs> That's a good one. Oh, yeah. Charles. Charles. Baldwin's so pissed that Howard got one of the Charleses. Oh, yeah. Charles, it's going to be fine. Get over it, Charles. Two. 
<laughs> Starting to loosen up, Charles. Charles! Charles! Stay back! I don't want to know how, Charles! I don't want to know how. Fire nice, Bob. Very humorous mood, Charles. What are we going to do, Charles? What are we going to do, Charles? I don't know, Charles. I don't think it'll work, Charles. Can't kill the bear, Charles. Oh, Charles! Yes. I, yeah, I wonder why why did they let him get away with saying it so many times I, how could they it's not a, have been it's a mammoth thing is he, it he, he puts his character's names in like yeah cause, cause Bob has said uh, yeah. probably like 50 times and his yeah. plays too Charles you always have turn your back Charles and I don't want to hear any more of your goddamn nonsense Charles Charles don't ah! watch out for the deadfall Bob oh god Charles oh god I think I've broken my leg, Charles. I don't feel 100%, oh, God, Charles. Charles. Oh, God, Charles, no. <laughs> I don't feel very well, Charles. I can't say that I feel very well at all, Charles. I can't say that I feel very well, Charles. I don't really feel quite 100%, Charles. The guy who tried to kill you, that's terrific, Charles. Charles, I gotta tell you. Charles, I'm sorry. <laughs> Charles. Charles. <laughs> It's pretty good. That's good. It's pretty good. I really like that. Yeah. It's almost as good as my family. My family. My family. We should make my wife. You have my wife back. I have you. So moving on to Mamet, Donica mentioned David Mamet. So of all the of all the people involved in this movie, other than Anthony Hopkins, yeah, I would say Hopkins is more celebrated for a short time and in one world. Whereas Mamet, as a writer just across his career, is sort of one of the legends. Oh, he is one of the greatest. Yeah, yeah he's a playwright. He's also a he's an essayist. He's a screenwriter. He's a director. He's a producer. He's a producer. Yeah. I mean, he the guy is <clears throat> has done all kinds of things. So uh, his Glengarry Glen Ross is. I would say his most celebrated work. I would think so. Um, it's considered one of the greatest of yeah. all time. He won the Pulitzer for it in 1982, um, as well as he, when he ado- adapted it as a screenplay in 1992, uh, received an Oscar nomination for the screenplay. Incidentally, the only part of the screenplay that's not in the play is the Alec Baldwin sequence, which is the most famous you part love. of yeah. the movie. Uh, which is when he gives the coffees for closers only speech. Mm-hmm. Um, which is funny because most people did he still write that part though, even yeah. though it's not in the play. Okay, I would say most people when they think of that movie, that's the scene that comes to mind, and they assume it must be in the play. And right. it's funny to me that's the most memorable scene. It's not in the play that he won the Pulitzer for. Crazy. Um, also received a Tony nomination. So throughout his career, I mean, the movies like The Verdict, movies like Wag the Dog, movies like Hoffa. I mean, if you go and I look, need to rewatch Wag the Dog. I know this is totally a sidetrack, but I haven't yeah. seen it since I was a kid. And yeah. I feel like watching it again now, it would be yeah. so much more revolutionary or, like, mind-blowing. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a long time either. I, I, same thing. I think my dad made me watch it when I was a kid. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he – and he's even still working. I mean, most recently he did an HBO film about Phil Spector starring uh, Al Pacino in 2013. The uh, he, One of his most famous works is this, this play, Sexual Perversity in Chicago, from the early 80s. And that was adapted into the Kevin Hart movie about last night from 2014. How oh, hilarious is what? that? Yeah. From a David Mamet? Yeah. I yeah. guess they just took the themes and they adapted it. Incredible. Yeah. It was super funny. Um, but so anyway, Mamet is famous for something that is called Mamet Speak, which Mark just talked about. Mm-hmm. Mamet Speak is kind of like when you watch an Aaron Sorkin piece. Exactly. It's like quick and smart and edgy and like... Yeah. It's just... It's it's like he, he talks about how the reason that he writes... It's... it's, it's um, 
dialogue that is punctuated by a lot of profanity. Characters trail off. They don't finish their sentences. They interrupt mm-hmm. each other a lot. Uh, it's supposed to sort of be more intense, more real, <coughs> edgier, more street smart. Um, you know, like, it's it's very distinctive. Mm-hmm. It feels inauthentic at times. Yeah, but, it's, I mean, sort of Sorkin. Yeah. You know? But it's also one of those things, when it's done correctly, it's awesome. It's also one of those things that a lot of people try to rip off because people love it, and it's not done as well as it should be. Right. Um, the TV show The Unit is one of his, fa- his famous shows that he worked on. He was the head writer on that right. show. Um, there's a great memo that's very famous that he wrote to his writers on that show, and it's just essentially breaking down like the laws of drama, character, and... Yeah, you set that over me last night. Yeah. If you guys have time, you should definitely go check it out because it's very interesting, especially if you're a writer. Yeah. Or I mean, I would it's, say, one, it's like notes from one of the greatest. Writer or actor, it, it actually... as just If you're somebody who's interested in drama and... and like narrative drama and how to understand it and execute it properly. It, it's a lot of simple stuff that you would read in a lot of any screenwriting book probably will say a lot of the same things. But he says things like when character A and character B are talking about character C. It's a crock of shit. The scenes of failure. Like, yeah. It's interesting. It's, it's cool. And uh, it's not like abusive to the writers. It's just a really interesting memo. Yeah, I mean, and again, with all those things, with, with anything that we do, uh, it's always good to get back to the basics. Yeah. And I think that's that's a big thing that he hits home on. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so he is the most relevant part of this movie. He did not direct this film. Uh, and again, I think that this movie was intended to be something a little bit less... Uh, <laughs> just a little bit less serious than right. it came off as. Well, now, Art Linson, the producer, was he's kind of a badass as well. Okay, so this guy graduated, graduated from UCLA, uh, UCLA Law yeah. and then just did not practice and decided to get into film. Um and he started to become a movie producer. He's directed a couple things, and he's written like two. I think he's written three and directed two. But he's known for being a huge producer. And some of the movies you might recognize are The Untouchables, Heat, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Fight Club, Scrooged. Those are like oh, yeah. big critical commercial movies. But then he also does movies like Melvin and Howard and The Edge and Into the Wild, which I absolutely love. love that movie, yeah. I think uh, Mamet wrote Untouchables as well. Did he? Pretty sure, yeah. I. I that sounds right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so his directorial debut was in 1980 in a comedy uh, called Where the Buffalo Roam, which was kind of loosely based on Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah, it's Bill and, Murray. Yeah, and Bill yeah. Murray plays the writer. Yeah. Um, he's also written books, and he, and he most recently, uh, the, the book that he wrote became a movie called What Just Happened with Robert De Niro. Yeah. I didn't actually see it, but I'd heard mixed reviews on it. What Just Happened? You're talking about that's the, that's the, uh, the Hollywood one? Yeah. With Bruce Willis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've seen that. Is it good? It's funny and interesting. It's yeah. not like uh, it's not like amazing, but it's definitely definitely entertaining. Right, and then yeah. of course one of his biggest, most recent things is he was the EP on every episode of Sons of Anarchy. Okay, so he's still doing it. He still knows what's relevant. He knows what's hot, and he knows how to stay um, as a powerhouse in this industry. Yeah. So let's talk about <laughs> our boy Lee Tamahori a little bit more. On January 8th, 2006, Tamahori, dressed as a woman, was arrested in Los Angeles for allegedly offering an undercover police officer oral sex. He was convicted only of criminal <laughs> trespass, having pled no contest in exchange for other charges being dropped. Should we move on? That's that's, I mean, that's, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's a real thing, but that's not that's not the story. What of the Lee hell, Tamahori. man? And that was the footnote at the bottom. He after, was method directing. Yeah, after I had done all the research on this guy right. and like felt I had a really strong grasp, I was like, you know what? I may as well read his Wikipedia just in case. Just to see. And I got to the bottom of the Wikipedia, and that was the last thing. And I was like, is there any way if we mention that first, people will listen to the rest? Like... Please listen to the rest of the story about this director um, objectively. Because he's actually, he's interesting, and I have a feeling you guys will enjoy this. Um, Lee Tamahori is a New Zealand-born director. He had a film called Once Were Warriors in 1994, Mm -hmm. a gritty depiction of a violent Maori family. He is originally Maori. And 
that movie did really well. It, yeah. it won awards. It was nominated for a bunch of stuff. He ended up coming over here. He rode that wave, if you will. So here's the most interesting part about him. I, t- I tweeted this out last night um, because I watched the trailer and I was intrigued. He did a movie called Mulholland Falls. Have you ever heard of this movie? Yes. So I've never watched Mulholland it's Falls. It's not good. And it was the next movie he did. It was his first movie in the States. It's like a 1950s kind of like noir uh, so so drama. yeah yeah. But the four cops in the movie are played by Chaz Palminteri, uh, Michael Madsen, hmm. Nick Nolte, and uh, Chris Penn. And it's got John Malkovich, Gina Davis, and like one at least one other notable it's a huge, actor. Huge. I remember that it being like a yeah. It confused Mulholland Drive. Yeah yeah. <laughs> Mulholland Falls. And I watched the trailer and I was like, I'm not really compelled to see this, but this is interesting. Yeah. I've never heard of this movie. And I can see, like, he came over here, and it was probably a really interesting script, and he was like, oh, this is a huge cast of hot names right now. I got a chance to do this. I'll do this. And I think it was a pretty big flop. That was his movie between The Edge and his breakout. Right. So now The Edge was reviewed better than Mulholland Falls, but still not really a big hit. Right. It still made it made more money. Yeah. But it still didn't make a lot of money. So, hilariously enough, he ends up getting to do Die Another Day. With a massive budget. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Bond movie. The 20th yeah. Bond movie with yeah. Pierce Brosnan. Is that the one with ice palaces you shouldn't... I think that's Die Another Day with, like, the red diamonds in the face and yeah. all that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Which is in, sweet. People in ice palaces shouldn't... It's <laughs> super bad. Uh, but the movie made, like, $400 million. And so then he was given Triple X2 State of the Union. Because they were like, ah, oh, you, you can make a hit. Yeah. Sure. Why not? This guy went from being a respected director in New Zealand in, in 1994 to basically just riding the Hollywood wave for a decade. Yeah. Never really making a movie that was good aside from The Edge. Yeah. Which is like even like questionably good. Like yeah. it's only just awesome <clears throat> if you want to take it in that context. But like for the success that this guy had, he was given so many opportunities. Right. And then he got next... Yeah, in yeah. what, 2012? 27, 2007. Oh, seven. Yeah, you're talking right. about next, the, uh, the, the Jessica Biel. Nick Cage, Nick Jessica Cage. B- yeah. It's one of, the, <laughs> the Nick Cage, Widow's Peak receding hairline with, with long so hair. So sweet. When there was, like, clearly the clause in his contract where he was just like, I've got to have receding hair <laughs> with, uh, you and know, I'll, long hair. I'll do any movie you want. <laughs> That's the one where, the, like, the boulder's falling down the hill and he, like, puts yeah. his hand. Yeah, yeah. real it's, good. I believe it's in my contract. I get uh, 12 <laughs> movies with my hair looking the same way. <laughs> I, I, like... I watched that movie basically as intoxicated as I could, yeah. and it was still not enjoyable at all. I believe there <laughs> Other than Jessica Biel. <laughs> what? Just like Nick Cage. That era of argue, his career. Yeah. Well, because like, that's the era of his like career. The Witch. Where, yeah, well, he did, yeah, yeah. Um, season, Drive, of the, season of the Witch. He did the movie uh, Drive Angry, and he, he did, also did Ghost Rider. He did World Trade Center. He did oh Bangkok Dangerous. Oh, my God, I forgot about he World Trade knowing. Center. He did Knowing. He did... Knowing. Incidentally, though, in that stretch, uh, The Weatherman is one of my all-time oh, yeah. favorite you, yeah. movies. And that's from that's 2006. A little, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah. He, <laughs> like, Nick Cage is a tremendously talented actor. He Nobody is. should ever forget that. But, like, he just, you know, he, he just, just picks the worst movies. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, I want money so I can buy more stuff. Uh, just, oh, can I buy an album, please? Uh, <laughs> okay, so I wanted to get into critical and box office because, okay. uh, uh, and this goes to you guys on the live chat because hopefully you're sitting there at your computers or with your phone out. How much did this movie cost to make? Ben looked for a while. I looked for a while. We've done 45, 44 movies on this show, and we've never had such a hard time finding the budget. Yeah. It's not out there. Yeah, it's really, really <clears throat> bizarre. I like definitely spent a good amount of time looking after you told me you couldn't yeah. find it. 
Because and- you can find anything on the internet. Between Wikipedia, box office, and the numbers for movies, like, you should yeah. find any, any st- stat. I found in some, in some like, fan discussions, one person estimated it was between 20 and 30 million. But that Sounds was, right. Yeah, I mean, for, for what it looked like and all that at the time, I mean, it's hard to know. If anybody has access to a database or some information we don't, um, let us know, because it, it's definitely... If this movie costs ten million versus if it costs forty million, it makes a huge difference on how I would sort of regard it in my mind. Right. Um, but either way, it did okay. Like twenty-seven versus fifteen worldwide. A total of forty-three. When I looked domestically at the uh, the careers of Baldwin and Hopkins, this movie is domestically outside the top twenty for both. That makes sense. I mean, does it with Baldwin? With think- Baldwin, yeah, not as much. Hopkins, yes. I mean, but neither one of them is a big action movie guy. Like, like no, Baldwin didn't really get a lot of action movie roles. But forty-three million dollars is not much money. Yeah, well, only that's the referencing the twenty-seven because it's just domestic. Oh, but, okay. Yeah, but even so, I, I still found that interesting that this is like number twenty-one and twenty-two respectively. We actually, I can pull a graphic here. Um, I looked at the domestically highest-grossing films of the year that year. Mark, is it possible you can blow that up on the screen for us? We don't have it in front of us here. Blow it up. So check this out. Um, this was the 75th highest grossing film of the year. Now, the movies that it was in, oh, in the 10 with, look at that. Look at these movies, right? Okay, so Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion at 71. Classic. A legitimate classic, yeah. right? Uh, we, you, you have Gross Point Blank at 74. Another classic. Also. 75, The Edge. Then you have uh, Little Mermaid, oh, the, re, the re, re-release at 76, but also great. Event Horizon, 77. Love Event Horizon. One of the greatest sci-fi horror movies ever. Boogie Nights at 79. Top three movies on both of our lists. Drop the mic. Just yeah. straight up drop the mic. Like, I just don't even, I just, like, don't even know. What it's just crazy mic. how much, like, they don't make money. No. Movies that are like that just don't make money. Although Event Horizon is kind of surprising. Yeah, totally. I mean, the guys in that movie, <laughs> Fishburn. Fishburn's so good. Fishburn and, uh, and Sam Neill. Yeah. The movie's, like, pretty disturbing. Yeah, um, it's gnarly. Yeah, yeah. But that's amazing to me. It's like, when you, when you just think about, movies are remembered ultimately for one of two reasons. Did they make a ton of money, or did they become cult classics? Yeah. And this is proof. You didn't have to finish in the top 70 to be, I mean, of those movies, it's very clear Boogie Nights is considered a cult classic. Yeah, it's considered one of the greatest of all time. And Gross Point Blank and Romeo and Michelle's High School Reading, those three are all mm-hmm. considered like... They're still referenced all the time. Cult classics. And no, none of those was domestically in the top 70 that year. So, you know, it's... Sometimes you make a good movie and you don't make any money. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> I thought that was super interesting. Like The Edge, uh, which opened fourth at $7 million behind... The Peacemaker, number one, which made so twelve funny. million with uh, with yeah. Clooney and was it Kidman? Yeah, talk about a movie that doesn't get talked about ever. In and Out, which is awesome, got Tom Selleck and Kevin Kline and never uh, seen it. Who's he's gay? He's he, or he's not gay. <laughs> who's gay? Kevin Kline is. He I can't remember the exact premise of it, but wasn't it? Oh, uh, his, one his, of his students. Yeah, said? so his student, he's like an acting teacher or or something like that, and his student wins like an Academy Award, and he says that his teacher, like in his. Uh, acceptance speech because I think he wins for being gay right. and he thanks his teacher Kevin Klein okay. who, who is gay but he's not <laughs> so he's a teacher and at school everyone starts calling him gay and he starts acting gay and he's like Jesus just fighting it the whole time and the whole time he's getting married right. and at the very end of the movie he's like holy shit I am gay. <laughs> but it's actually really funny. And it's sounds good. good and yeah, it's, it's, it was cool. Um, soul Food. I remember Soul Food. I don't remember Soul Food. Oh, really? Which was that one? Uh, I don't remember, remember a lot about it. So, no, Soul Food was like um, around the same era and type of movie. It's like, <clears throat> like Waiting to Exhale and like um, like Tyler Perry style movie. Okay. Pre-Tyler okay. Perry. Gotcha. That sort of, you know what I mean? Like, um, 
I, I watched it, though. I actually saw Soul Food. I don't remember why. I don't remember anything about it, but I remember watching it. If you were at the movies in 97, yeah. uh, September 26th, uh-huh. well, we would have been too young, so let's say we were our age back then. What sure. movie would you you would have went and seen The Peace, Peacemaker, right? Presumably. I mean, I, I, I guess with, uh, with In-N-Out, like... Maybe a date I definitely movie? Would have, I definitely would have seen Peacemaker. Would have been Peacemaker. Well, actually, would I have seen The Edge? That's the question. It would have been Peacemaker or The Edge. Yeah. I would have had to ask myself. So Peacemaker, this is pre-Batman and Robin. So I would I would have been an ER fan. Um, or I would have been a Kidman fan, but, like, no. So really, it probably means that my parents let me watch Silence of the Lambs. Right. And maybe I, I wouldn't have seen any other Hopkins movie. And maybe I loved Hunt for Red October. That wouldn't surprise me at all. I probably would have seen The Edge. Okay. Unless there's something that Clooney did. I mean, Out of Sight's great. And that's I would have like, watched, because I, I think I was on the Clooney-Kidman train at the time. You have sisters. ER was on TV. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. my sisters. I watched that episode numerous times. Okay. Or his episodes numerous times, because they love Fair. him. Uh, critically, this movie, not bad. 6.9 on IMDb. But it does adhere to our uh, our algorithm. Yes, which is it's got a sixty percent by all critics, sixty four percent by top critics, and a seventy percent by audience. It's got to yeah. be. I mean, it should like, be higher. It should be, and it's <clears throat> it's solidly like it's one of those things where this movie is just good enough that none of the reviews are going to drop it into the thirties. But like, it's also just sort of like missed enough by people that the audience rating is not going to jump up, and the IMDb is not in the sevens. Right. You know what I mean? If this was truly a cult classic. The audience score would be 80 or like 79. Yeah. And the IMDb would be like a 7.6. Yep. And you would be like, oh, this movie looks much better than I feel like it is. But like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think it's because of the, the it could be anything from Tam Horry and Mamet's miscommunication to the Alec Baldwin just being a dick the whole movie yeah. in the laughable moments. Who knows? I mean, for the record, guys, with Tam Horry, I have never met him personally and did not know anything about him before we did this episode. So anything that we're guessing about miscommunication, that was my thesis statement. Yeah. I'm just putting it on record because it feels that way to me. Um, just to clarify, you know. Just speculation. That's <laughs> yeah. all it is. All right, so Susan, Susan Stark from the Detroit News says that Anthony Hopkins' first action movie casts him a gentle, brainy tycoon stuck in the Alaskan wilderness with only a voracious bear and just as threatening Alec Baldwin for company. A voracious bear. Who's scarier? Uh, why isn't Gary Busey in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> he should be the bear. He should be the bear. <laughs> He could have been, he could have, he totally could have been Baldwin. Oh, he could have been Baldwin. It would have been a hilariously different movie. I'm in love with your wife. Yeah. But you need I, to leave. I would have loved it if he had played A photographer with an eye for beauty. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with his teeth? I got an eye for beauty. Yeah. <laughs> a photographer with enormous teeth. I <laughs> tried bend over like that. Uh, all right, and then Jane, James Bertinelli. Ber- uh, gave it a rotten review. Berardinelli. Berardinelli. Usually you give me the tough names. I know. That's I why it. I said it. <laughs> so I could screw it up. He says, I laughed frequently, but the problem is that I'm not sure the director intended there to be as much humor in this film as I uncovered, which is cool because I pulled this before I'd heard your thesis statement. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's that thing we talk about with Ridiculous Legitimate where we are all laughing we sh- we're not supposed to be right. and we're, but we're happy about it right. but we're happy about it whereas if again with your thesis I loved your thesis because I, I don't know if it's true or not but if it yeah. is it leaves so much room for discussion it on the other end of it if it was translated perfectly with the way that he wanted to write it if that's what his intentions were what you said earlier do you think you would have laughed as much or do you think it would have been like even more hilarious I dislike movies that are too self aware same so this movie to me is the perfect kind of movie where it's it's not in on the joke which mm-hmm. is what makes it so great exactly and I think that it, it's like 
it's it, it's a double-edged sword. It makes this movie memorable if you know about it and forgettable if you didn't go into it with that expectation. It also, it's one of those things where it probably goes over a lot of people's heads. And I also think time. it's one of those situations where it's like Gary Oldman and Air Force One and, and you know, there's people that we use as references is if Hopkins didn't take himself so seriously, I don't think the movie would have been as sweet. Yeah. Because he's so good at it. He's yeah. so much conviction. He's also like uh, he built a really wonderful character, like in just in the way that he in the way that he responds to everyone. Even, even at the beginning when Elle McPherson, who by yeah. the way we have mentioned zero times, and because there's she, a reason. Yeah. Um, but like even at the beginning when she's like, "Charles, would you fetch me a sandwich?" And he's like, and he and he's like, "A sandwich, sure." <laughs> yes, a sandwich. Okay, of course. Yes, a sandwich. Yes, okay, of course. And he like looks at the room, just like who talks like that? But like, <laughs> it's like he wanted to be this like meek character, clearly. Yeah. Uh, and I and I love that about him. When, when he says, "Can I say something to you, Charles?" Okay, bub. Okay, bub. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best. Well, what I, I was I, I leaned over to you during the movie, and I was and I do think that with it was definitely the writing, right? Um, but the way that the director used it was, it's so crazy how just prefacing that he's a. a a tycoon, a billionaire, a yeah, powerful right, man. Right, 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 right. Him in the scenario of being lost in the wild when he's read all these books is completely believable. He right. never loses his cool. He always keeps going. He's never going to give up. There's only one moment of weakness he has. Yeah. It's when he loses the flares and he falls in the water and he right. realizes that he had to have his life saved. Yeah. But other than that, just the fact that they tell you someone's a when someone says that someone's a billionaire, right. it's a lot of fucking money. It's a lot of money. You have to do a lot to become a billionaire. Yeah. And that's all they said. They don't say what he does or who he is or anything. Yeah. You put him in the wild with that, and it was like totally believable. Yeah, and I thought that was super cool. It's smart writing. Yeah, it's definitely smart writing. Yeah. Speaking of his his moment of weakness or Bob's moment of weakness, let's get into our favorite lines. Yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's count them down. So we we kind of alluded to this. This week was a little bit of a cheat on favorite line and uh, and fist bump moment, just because it's very clear. There's a few sections of the movie that are like the most intense, yeah. and then a lot of the rest of the movie is is sort of not the same way. Did anybody any uh, thoughts in the chat? I'm feeling um, a lot of our chat probably hasn't seen this movie. Well, they, yeah, some of them have, some of them haven't. A lot of, there's a couple people who are like, this is my favorite movie. Oh, like, really? They love The Edge. Oh. And other people, you know, some people were talking about how we should do newer movies. Right, and right, now right, I talk about Gross Point Blank. But no, they're, they're just chit-chatting. Glad you guys are talking to each other, having fun, yes. watching the show. And if you're watching or listening now, and like, just watch this movie. It's like, it's oh, you so, got to watch so it. Oh, and earlier someone mentioned that the... I'm gonna kill the motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is their favorite of line. Course, of, of course, of course. Yeah. Hard, it's hard not to, yeah. So, so my favorite line is... Um, it's in that fist pump sequence, yeah. and I love it. It's when Baldwin is just like, I don't, I don't know Charles, and he's just like, we're gonna do it, Bob, and he's like, we can't kill the bear, Charles. Yeah. it's one step ahead of us all the time. It's stalking us for God's sake. He's giving up. Yeah, I love that. I just love when he's actually alluding to the fact that there's a bear in the wilderness that is smarter than them, yeah, and is one step ahead of them all the time. Like he's terrified of this bear. Of the bear, the fact that the bear could be one step ahead of him is like amazing to me. Like, it's, oh, and that was another uh, that was another um, foreshadowing when right. he's like Kodiak with a taste of man meat. Yeah. It goes crazy or whatever. It's like after it's tasted it, yeah. And that's another one of those lines when when Baldwin is willing to say he's one step ahead of us all the time, where like that's the parody. Like, yeah. That's like the joke. It's like that is where Mammoth's just like writing a line. And he's yeah, like, it's like he, one step ahead of us all It's a bear. It's a fucking bear. I thought that was the hero qualifier, guys. <laughs> yeah, there you go. This <laughs> yeah, is true. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, taste for flesh. What do you got? So I had a few of them. I did love, obviously, to him and kill the motherfucker, but I, I didn't like that they used it again, but never feel sorry for a man who owns a plane. Right, I right, thought it was right. really cool. But my favorite line of the movie is, they died saving my life. Saving my life. Because <laughs> every time we talked about this movie, that's all I'd ever say. Because right. it's the only thing that I remembered perfectly. Yeah, right. Just like at the end of uh, U.S. Marshals, 
righteous. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's the same thing. So that's my favorite line. And I also think it's it's a cool line. Yeah. Because he doesn't ever sell anyone out. No. He, and he does. I mean, like, if you're going to get all deep on it, Alec Baldwin does save his life by trying to kill him and, and being stuck in the wild and, like, going yeah. on this rant, like, this adventure. It changes everything. He's, yeah. He's going to get, I, I, I bet you if there was an edge too, he invests that $30, $40 million in that property and just lives out there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a good scene too. I like that scene with, with a, that guy. That guy's cool. I like. Him. He's also in. Uh, I said this mask of Zorro, yeah. and he's, yeah, yeah. he's good at that crazy. Yeah. What's he say? I, I for a minute there, I thought you were just being courteous. Yeah, and he just walks away. Yeah, that's it's good. Great. He's used to people using him for his money. Absolutely. Um, all right, so let's talk about uh, hero and villain ranking. It's you know Bart the Bear is a pretty damn good villain. He is, but I don't think he ranks for me. Maybe he does. Actually. I didn't and think about Alec that. Baldwin is a good villain antihero type. Yeah. <clears throat> But I, I don't know. He just I, I might add him later on. Yeah. I feel like I might add him later. I could see adding Bark the Bear later. Mm-hmm. But uh, but and maybe Baldwin <laughs> just because I like him so much. Um, all right, so here we go. Hold have. on, really quick. You haven't seen Legends of the Fall still? Yeah. And Bart the Bear is in that as well. Is he really? Yeah. Wow. And Anthony Hopkins, the, the trainer. It was like Hopkins and Bart scenes. Like watching Anthony work with him was magic. Huh. He would literally sit there and work scenes with just the bear. He did two movies with Bart the Bear in yeah. just a few years. And he would just, he, they would say during between takes and, and stuff, he would just sit there and stare at the bear and just like be mystified by it. Be one with the bear. He loved the bear. <laughs> I need God, to watch I love Legends Anthony Hopkins so much. I need to watch that movie. You really do. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, so I have him a little lower than you. Yeah, it looks like you put him at... Uh, 26, yeah. Mark, is there a way you can blow those up for us to see just a little bigger? And I'm, and I put him yeah, one sec. right behind... Thank you, buddy. Uh, I appreciate it. Ryback, I believe, from Under Siege. Uh, looks like it looks like you have him just right behind Wyatt Earp from Two. Oh yeah, there it is. When so in it looks Casey like, Ryback's right ahead. Looks of like him. you got him at thirty-two. Okay, so Ryback thirty, Wyatt Earp thirty-one, and uh, Charles Morse thirty-two. Uh, and then just directly in front of Rock Tansky. I know. And Cameron Poe. It's hard. It was hard. Yeah, it's getting really tough for us. Um, so it looks like what I've got is uh, looks like man, I've got I've got Creasy. Followed by Mike Banning from Olympus, nice. and then I've got Charles Morse directly there behind Banning. And who's right underneath him? Looks like I've got Wyatt Earp and Brian Mills. Okay, um, I like that. Yeah, I, it's it's weird to put Brian Mills lower than Charles Morse. Yeah, because yeah, any action movie fans can look at this list and be like, you guys are absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> like, I don't know what the hell are you. I've never even seen that movie. Who I'm not going to watch your show. He's like seventy. <laughs> yeah, he but, really is. But like when you watch him, like he's just. The unshaven with like the spear and like we're gonna kill him. He's a man, he's the every man's man's man. I would put up, I will come to your house, I I will find you, and I will kill you against what one man can do, another can do. Um, I would put those two next to each other, those scenes for me. I would like the edge one more. Yeah. Like those are those and those are the defining moments of the two characters. So just just saying. Just yeah. saying, hey, come at me, guys. Come God, at God. us. All right, let's go on to the uh, the movie rankings. All right, sounds good. <clears throat> and again, I think you ranked it a little higher than me, but I did really, really love this movie. Oh, I like it. So you put this one ahead of Crimson Tide. Yeah. Interesting. It's a hard decision. To me, they are so similar in the they, way I feel exactly. about them. They're so similar in the way I feel about them. Uh, it looks like you've got Under Which is Siege. why I put like all those, because all those movies have like, they sit in the same place in my heart. Yeah. Looks like you go Rogue Nation, Face Off, Under Siege, The Edge, Crimson Tide, John Wick. Yeah. So you like, I mean, that's, it's ahead of Ghost Protocol, it's ahead of John I Wick. Know. And I, I know, that's why it was so hard, because I do love those movies, but again, when I was making the list today, I was yeah. sitting there and I was like, 
if it's 11 30 12 o'clock at night and i'm about to go to sleep and i want to watch a good movie as i go to sleep what am i going to turn on yeah i'm not going to turn on ghost protocol i'm going to turn on the edge man yeah true so it's 29 for you and it looks like for me it is directly behind air force one and nice. ahead of casino royale and looper <laughs> so it looks like i have it there at number does that say 24 for me Mark? 24 yeah, it looks like Air Force One's 23, then it goes Rogue Nation. I put the Patriot ahead of it. Yes. Oh, that feels incorrect. It feels incorrect. <laughs> I love the Patriot. It was awesome. I was a fan of the Patriot. It is so crazy how like these lists are they're they make no sense for anyone other than us. They're getting tough. Yeah. They're getting they're really getting tough. really tough. All right, let's do it, man. Let's get into our let's get into our recast so for guys, the week. This is the part of the show where we recast the characters in the movie as if we were to make the movie today. So it's been almost twenty years since the edge. Uh, if we were to remake this movie as it was, or as it if you were to reimagine it, and you can you can go that direction as yeah. well. But sometimes you just go straight. I went pretty straight, just like Yeah, I did too. I went like same format, same everything. I think you could make this movie again and it would be be sweet. It was the Revenant. Yeah. But like this was better. Yeah, I like this more than the Revenant. (laughs) (laughs) They're so different, but like it's that was one thing I was noticing. Like when I was watching the Revenant and when I when I watched Mad Max, you feel cold. Like you actually feel cold watching the Revenant. Yeah. And you actually feel like thirsty watching Mad Max. Right. When you watch The Edge, you're kinda like, Oh wow, it's crazy how much it's evolved since then. Right. Because like, they're out in the wild and they're freezing and it's raining and it's snowing, but you never really like, eh. Yeah, right. Whereas in, in like The Revenant, you're like, Jesus Christ, man, get a fucking blanket. Yeah. You're going to die. Yeah. Yeah, fully. It, they're like completely different animals. Yeah, uh, obviously. No but, pun intended. Because uh, <laughs> they're bears. I see what you did there. <laughs> All right, so let's recast first. Oh, sorry, go ahead. McPherson? Should we just start with McPherson? Might as well start with McPherson. I mean, okay. I. My, my initial, my gut reaction was go Margot Robbie. But that's a cop-out because Margot mm-hmm. Robbie just is the blondest, hottest chick in movies, like, currently. I know. I wanted to use Kate Upton again, but yeah. I used her last week for the model. So, yeah. again, it's just another model. Basically, <clears throat> like, I guess if you wanted to make this movie smarter now, you could write her character to have a little more depth. And you could, in fact... Alicia Vikander. <laughs> you could give it just a little bit more... At the beginning, you could you could maybe even just like build that relationship a bit more, but I don't know how necessary it even is. It's not because when he hands her the the watch at the end, it's yeah. perfect. It's enough. because she in the beginning she's so you think genuine, but she's so fake. Yeah, it, it makes you forward. hate her. Yeah, you know. And I love when he shows up <clears throat> at the end. She looks defeated before he even hugs her. Yeah, because she sees the body, and that's yeah. like devastating. Yeah, and then also you got to think on her point of view. It's like. If they've been lost in the woods for however long, yeah. it had to have come up. Right. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, fully. So, to me, I just wrote anyone hot. Um, but, I did the same thing. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, there's there's a ton of people that could play the role. I mean, yeah. you mentioned Beckinsale. Yeah. Alicia Vikander. <laughs> Beckinsale. <laughs> Diane Lane. Diane Lane. Margot Robbie. <laughs> anyway, so it doesn't matter. Mary uh, touched my leg. <laughs> touched my leg. All right. Kill him. <laughs> um, so, let's go Paranu. Howard. Right. So, I went Anthony Mackie. Okay, I, I thought about that. I like Anthony Mackie here because it's sort of the smile. Anthony Mackie has like a similar really friendly smile. Mm-hmm. Um, from, he, he does a good job of playing frazzled. From the point of view of playing on the the parody of like the movie trope of the black guy dies first, which mm-hmm. is like the classic action movie trope, which is offensive, I guess, in some ways, even though it is like a parody. I still it's think a real thing. I still think if you're going to make this movie again, I think if you don't go with that, I think it sort of goes against the point of right. what the movie is supposed to be, which is a little bit of a parody on the Man vs. Wild thing. So that's why Mackie's like, he's got the chops, yeah. great actor. Um, 
I throw Mackie in this role, and I think he handles it. That's funny, because I wrote Mackie down first, yeah. and I was like, eh. Right, right, right. Um, you use it a lot. I do, and I also use this guy a lot, but he's so good. It's Paul Dano. Oh, Dano? Yeah. In the parent role? Yeah. Oh. He's okay. like the bitchy little assistant, oh, he, he, same way he likes his coffee, muddled and yeah, whatever, yeah, murky. Sure. And, oh, okay. You know, and then it's like, okay, he's freaking out because Paul Dano, we all know, is one of the best at freaking out, right. losing his shit. Watch Looper, yeah, watch yeah. There Will Be Blood. Um, he's the type of guy who'd be like, all right, shut up, go make a spear, and 30 seconds later, he'd be like, oh, oh no, yeah. what did I do? Like that. <laughs> what have I done? Yeah, like, <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> so I use Dano, and I know I've used him a lot, but God, he'd just be so good. Okay, so here's what I want to do because I think. This is, this one to me is where like you need them both. They need to be the tandem here is super important. Yeah. So I want to name our tandems. Okay. So you want to go first? Sure. Okay. Uh, so like I said, while watching this film, I was scared that Anthony Hopkins was going to die at any moment. Okay. Which is why I was okay <laughs> using Brian Cox. He's like ninety. He's he's younger than Hopkins. Would he be wearing his Troy outfit? Oh, he would be. I got my mom. Ah, uh, and then his counterpart <laughs> would be Chris Pine. What? He's like 70 years younger. Perfect. Pine's got to be like 36 or yeah, 34. And, and Cox is probably like 66. He's probably like 65, 66. So it's a, it's a good 30-year gap. All right, Donica, I'm going to need a fact check on this one, please, sir. On, on Cox? I need a Cox and a Pine. He needs check. an age on both of them. I'm going to guess I'm gonna guess Chris Pine's 34 and Brian Cox is 74. I'm going to go 36 and 65. Uh, 35 for Pine. Okay, we're right in the middle. Yeah. And 69 for Brian Cox. In right in the middle. middle. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, <laughs> 35 and 69. That's great. 34-year difference? I'm a billionaire. He's, he's almost 70. Kate Beckinsale's the wife. Right in the middle. I love Brian Cox. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of Brian Cox. And I, also, if you, if you haven't seen the movie Red, yeah. which is where like these punk kids kill his dog, yeah. and he like goes on a rampage in the town, right. it's pretty sweet. Wait, Red? Yeah, it's called Red. It came out like a year or two before the other red oh, got with it. Malkovich and yeah, Freeman yeah, yeah. and all that, yeah. Um, all right, I went Cranston and Affleck. Cranston and Affleck. Ben Affleck. Yeah. So Brian Cranston, Ben Affleck. Here's my. Here's my. I like Casey Affleck more than Ben. Well, here's my decision. Okay, Brian Cranston. Now I'm taking Brian Cranston in the before he was Breaking Bad. Brian Cranston. Really? So I'm saying like we all know what he's capable of, mm-hmm. but when he's like meek and quiet and like. Easily frustrated, kind of an asshole, um, but like not confident yet. Yeah, he goes through the Mr. Chips to Scarface transition in this movie of okay. like becoming a badass by the end of the movie and when he puts on his bear suspenders. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then for Ben Affleck, the reason I go Ben over Casey here is because Casey to me always, almost always comes off as like a pretty sweet guy. Right. He's like not really. What was that movie he was in with Jessica Alba though? Uh, Where he's like. Gnarly in it. Look, look that up for us, Donica. That movie's he's gnarly in that movie. I'm not sure, but I mean, yeah. not, not to say that his acting chops couldn't do it. But right. Like for me, Ben Affleck to me is way more capable on screen of just being a fuck. And the first time you see Baldwin in this movie, it's he's, clear yeah, he's a fuck. He's immediately, immediately. Yeah. So that's why I'm like, I think Affleck, Ben Affleck, could be a better just immediate like that fucking guy. And I think I could see his. They're only like ten years apart though, right? Cranston and Affleck? Yeah. No, Cranston's got to be. Cranston has to be in his like mid to late fifties, and I would put I would put Affleck somewhere like he's right, like almost forty, right around or like 40. forty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's like almost twenty years. Gotcha. Um, I got a pair, gents. What's that? Do it. Patrick Stewart as Charles. Ooh. Acting. Christian Bale as Bob. Ooh. 
interesting. I like it. That's a good one. Yeah. Ben, All yeah. right. All right, audience. Who did who did better this week? Who was the master recaster? Was it Ben? Was it myself? Which you had again? I had Brian Cranston, Ben Affleck, any hot chick, probably Diane Lane, and Anthony Mackie. And I had Brian Cox, Chris Pine, any hot chick, and Paul Dano. <laughs> And you can just use your, your duo if you want, Donica, because that's a good duo. I'll do that. Hell of a duo. Which was Patrick Stewart and Christian Bale. Yes. And uh, hashtag Master Recaster, or leave it in the comments. Let us know who you think was the best recaster. Uh, last but not least, guys, we have three action movie categories. This is a tough one. Three categories. Number one is totally legitimate. Movies mm-hmm. that are completely held together by drama. They are convincing. So that's going to be like Terminator 2, The Fugitive. Um, we have totally ridiculous movies like Con Air, uh, you know, face off, like they just are absurd under yeah. siege. And then you have ridiculously legitimate or legitimately ridiculous, which is movies right in the middle, which is like The Rock, Point Break, Speed, Predator. Um, so, which which category does this movie fit into for you? Ooh, hold on, real quick. Someone said that you got me on this one this time. Sorry. So there's one point for yes. you. But he also did Matt Damon as Bob and Jeff Bridges. I love as it. Charles. That's thought, a good one. I thought about Damon. Really, almost did Bridges it for me. is good. Yeah. Ah, Tony. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> what? It's uh, Tony Stark. Yeah, yeah. from the yeah. Iron Man. Iron Man, yeah. Iron Man franchise. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all right, so I <clears throat> I was watching this movie yesterday, and I definitely was like, okay, this movie's totally legit, totally legit. Yeah. But it's just not. No. There's just something about it where it falls just a little short. Yeah. And honestly, it could even just be, for me, my go back to my thesis statement. There's too much foreshadowing. Yeah. I can't take this movie seriously because after 20 minutes, like you said, I could have written a synopsis that was very close to how it ended. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think for me, the movie critic in me wants to call this legitimately ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But the fan in me... Wait, what did I call it? Uh, ri- the middle category? I call it the middle yeah. one, right? Yeah. yeah, okay. Ridiculous legitimate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going to go... In the direction of legitimate. And the reason I'm going to do it is okay. because I'm going to go against the snooty movie critic in me. And right. I'm going to say, in reality, if I'm not looking to laugh, if I'm just watching this movie by myself and I'm honest with myself, when the movie ends, my feeling is that movie was fucking sweet. Awesome. Yeah. I loved it. I don't really laugh out loud, except for the, there's a lot of comedy in the writing. Yeah, and because I was talking about, we were talking about the uh, the relationship between the two of them. Yeah, and it's like Alec Baldwin says something dumb, and then uh, Anthony Hopkins puts him in his place with fat. Yeah, and that happens over and over and, and over, and, over. over. and yeah. it's very entertaining. Yeah, and it's funny. So yeah, it's it's super on the edge because <laughs> no one intended because <laughs> I feel like I could so easily make a case for this being the middle category. Right, and if somebody what about was the to... bear fight, man? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the fair fight's tough. That, that thing weighs as much as Anthony Hopkins. Come on, motherfucker. Come on. Yeah. I know that's that is a hard one. That's a hard one to defend. It's a tough one. Yeah. Oh, it's hard. <laughs> it's so tough. But I'm sticking to my guns. I'm All calling right, this I like totally it. legitimate. I like sticking to your guns. Um so that's gonna do it. We only have one section left on the show, and that's called <laughs> The Pitch. Boom. Boom. On cue with the timing, Donic. I love it. Uh, We have two movies to pitch this week. We will be pitching... I will be pitching... Underworld. No, I thought Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider. (laughs) The first one. (laughs) The first Tomb Raider. I'm sorry. Did it have some funny name or just Tomb Raider? No, it's just... The Cradle of Secrets is the second this one. This is Cradle of Life. Cradle of Life Later, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And that is because of the Daisy Ridley, if you do. Yeah, know, yeah, that's being... an awesome announcement. So 
Uh, I'm pitching the original Tomb Raider because not only is Angelina Jolie smoking hot, Daniel Craig is like the biggest asshole in it. <laughs> and uh, you get to see a little bit of John Voight in there, who is her real father. But it's also mainly just because I want us to all watch together and think about how much sweeter the new one could be with Daisy Ridley and like the way that movies are going now and if it was more serious and not like a 90s jokey action movie. But also Angelina Jolie is very attractive in it. Yes, and Daisy Ridley is going to be amazing. Yes. If that happens, I can't wait. So I've got Tomb Raider. And I'm going to be pitching The Town. Ben Affleck directed 2010. Jeremy Renner. Uh, I think it's his sweetest role, Renner. I love him in Hurt Locker. Yeah. But he is so good in The Town. He's super. And uh, John Hamm is fantastic in this movie. Yeah. What's the girl's name? Um, it always escapes me. It's oh, the brunette uh, Re- uh, Rebecca Ferguson. No, no, that's from that's the that's Rebecca oh yeah yeah no from, Rebecca it's something like that yeah 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 um, anyway this Pete, movie, I think it's Pete Postwaith's or Walt's last role before he dies Fernie oh, the okay. uh, yeah yeah the gardener okay yeah 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 that's yeah. right that's right yeah this movie's intense this movie's intense I recall I recall the ending is the only part that bothers me a little bit but like in terms of action there's a great shootout it's just got that crime thing going yeah, and the bank robberies it's, like it's all it's like a modern day Heat in a lot of ways um, it. Obviously, it's not as epic as Heat, but it's intense. It is a super intense movie. Um, this is a great cable movie. I've probably watched this movie at least three or four times. I love I, yeah. I, I love this movie. Yeah. It's yeah. incredibly well acted, written, directed. It's intense. Yeah. Yeah, this movie's great. It's Affleck directed. I, th- I think, I mean, I would say this is Affleck's best movie. It's better than Argo. I mean, Argo won Best Picture, but I would watch this over Argo any day. You mean for a director, as a director? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, would, I would 100% agree. So the two movies are Tomb Raider for Andrew and uh, the, the Town, Town for me. And, Donica, are you pitching a movie? Are you pitching Underworld? Uh, no, we... we, we... We're gonna scrap it. All right, save that for later. All right, so we will put that. uh, We will put that poll up on our Twitter, which is at AMA Podcast, of course. And if you want to speak to us personally, you can find me at Ben Bateman Media. You can find me at Andrew Guy. And one more time, of course, remember to check out the Tomorrow Show on. Uh, TomorrowShow.com Kevin Undergaro's Midlife Crisis featuring Roxy Stryer Marie Menounos Ashley Daniels uh, it is an awesome show that is brand new it is on Mondays and Thursdays it just had uh, Farrah Abrams on there from Teen Mom yeah, and uh, Celebrity Rehab yeah so check that out uh, it's a great podcast streams live audio and video and guys thank you so much for tuning in we will see you next week From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only, and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals. 